If sometimes you see that I'm mad Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are Good evening. You are listening to Prison Pipeline here on KBOO Community Radio. Um, tonight we're talking with Zach Whalen. Uh, Zach, welcome to Prison Pipeline. Yeah, thank you, Emma. It's great to be with you. Thanks. Um, so, Zach, can you tell me a little bit about your organization and what you do? Yeah, so uh, our organization is called Project Avery. We're a, a nonprofit organization. Uh, and we focus on serving children with incarcerated parents. And we began uh, in 1999. We began uh, in Northern California uh, at the prison called San Quentin State Prison. It's right in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, the prison chaplain at that time, a man by the name of Earl Smith, he lived on the San Quentin campus. And he got concerned by seeing the kids line up each weekend to visit their dads. And he was seeing generational patterns form where he would see these kids. And then years later, they would become inmates uh, themselves in San Quentin. And so Avery was formed by Earl and other community members uh, to intervene and to support these kids to help them uh, break free from the intergenerational cycles of incarceration. And that's how we began. And we're a leadership development program we started out running summer camps and mentoring, and now we're national uh, doing uh, leadership development and support groups uh, via Zoom, including right in your area of Portland. Oh, great, thank you. Um, so Zach, can you tell me what, um, what are some of the most common things that you hear from kids um, about their parents, about the process, um, about what they really, what they really are missing in their lives. Yeah, you know, it, it's it, it's such a unique experience for each kid, uh, and I, I was actually just reminded of that uh, uh, today as a caregiver. Uh, and caregivers, you know, the the adult who's taking care of the child on the outside, whether that's you know a mom or a dad or a granny or whom it may be, and and this caregiver was was telling me about. Uh, about uh, their their child's unique experience, which was much different than than others. So it really is unique. You know, some of them, uh, you know, are are grieving the separation of of someone that they really loved, and you know that's akin to any loss that that anyone has has experienced. Uh, they're dealing with the loss of financial health, uh, you know, which leads to having to, you know, move out of the house or or move to a new school. Uh, and to, to be honest, you know, some, including this person that I was talking to this week, they're experiencing relief uh, because in this case, the, 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 the parent who is now incarcerated was causing a great deal of harm um, to, to the family and to the child. So it really goes right along the spectrum of, of what people are experiencing. Um, mm -hmm. But it's impactful for the kids. It is a significant loss and harm 
uh, when the parent is is separated. Um, and uh, our community needs to pay attention to that and needs to support these kids um, so that they can overcome those challenges, which we know that they can. Um, talk me through a typical, like, or maybe one or two typical situations for what happens to a kid when their parent gets incarcerated. Do they go into foster care? Do they go live with their grandparents? How, how does that work? And who has legal custody of them? Right. You know, it, it, it can be any of those things. Uh, you know, when it, if, if they have uh, another parent, then they're living with that parent. And, you know, and I, and I would say that's about 50% of the kids that, that we serve, they're living with a single parent. Uh, but yes, it, oftentimes it's it's a grandmother or an auntie uh, or a brother or sister that's that's stepping up to take care of that child. Foster care too. Foster care can 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 be part of of, of the equation. Um, and then there are you know you know more desperate situations where there really isn't anybody, and um, you know or or it, it, it's someone that isn't you know doesn't have a a strong foundation themselves. And, and those are the kids that are, are most vulnerable. Um, you know, it, the, one of the, the sad things is, is that our country really doesn't have a system for supporting these children. You know, there's a whole social service agency, both on the local level and national to support foster care youth. You know, they have assigned caseworkers and social workers, families get money. Uh, of course, there are foster care parents and there isn't that system set up for children with incarcerated parents. And so there can be some pretty desperate situations where these kids, kids can simply fall through the cracks. Uh, you know, there's been stories where where kid where the person is incarcerated and the kids are left at home and no one is doing anything. Um, so I think that's an area that policymakers really need to take a step up and recognize that you know this this is something that affects you know oh, nearly three million children in our in our country. Um, it's the second wow. greatest public health crisis, in fact for children in the United States, second only to childhood asthma. Uh, so there's there's a lot more that needs to be done. Wow, did you say 3 million kids? Yeah, and can you believe that? I, that it's the second greatest public health crisis facing children, right? Second only yeah. to childhood asthma. And that of course is the result of this pipeline that you speak of and, and of mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. Um, now, do do these kids ever end up homeless because because the parent is incarcerated? Yeah, that 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 is for sure the case. I mean, household income drops uh, on average by fifty percent. So uh, we we see families that um, can you imagine, right? I mean, where people are mostly struggling to get by, and then half of your income suddenly gets ripped away from you. Uh, so certainly. People, people are are thrown into to tough situations, and, and homelessness is is of course one of them. Absolutely. So, what do these kids need the most for support? What do their families need the most for support? You know, the thing that Project Avery really focuses on is uh, supporting the kids to know that they're not alone in this, and supporting their their emotional healing and their feelings of social isolation. It's an incredibly isolating experience for the children when their parents are, are incarcerated. There's an incredible amount of social stigma. 
there can be shame. And oftentimes the kids are told to keep quiet about this. So, you know, no one at school knows, their friends don't know. If their friends do know, maybe th there's some teasing that's happening. And when a child is going through that experience, that just leads to a host of other issues. It just compounds upon it. And, and, and I think it's foundational to this school to prison pipeline that you're talking about. And, you know, when a kid is having behavioral issues at school, instead of asking, you know, what's wrong with you, we, we need to be asked that question, what's happened to you? And so if we can meet the emotional needs of these kids because of what they've gone through in incarceration, we're gonna be giving them the healing that they need, the resiliency, the protective factors um, to find success, that wherever that may be in, in, in school uh, or in, in the world of work. So we need places that acknowledge that they're going through something that's really challenging and that there needs to be healing. And, uh, and that's why I think it's critical that there's spaces like Avery out there that meets their unique social emotional needs. Because when you have that healing, then you can find success in school. Then you can find success in relationships and other areas of life. So I don't think it's it, the first thing in my mind isn't the material solution. It's a social one. It's, a, it's an emotional one. In San Quentin prison, we do this educator symposium with the San Quentin newspaper. And the inmates uh, meet with educators and they're giving them insight about how they can break cycles of incarceration and, and violence. And the thing over and over again that these men share is, if someone just stopped and listened to me when I was a student, if they just heard my pain, it would have helped me get off of this cycle of pain and violence. And I, I think that's really important for us to take in. It's not you know, a huge elaborate solution. It's surrounding these kids with support and listening and love and care. Uh, and we can do that anywhere, whether that's in Portland or, you know, in Texas or New York City. If you're enjoying this conversation, please share your support for this program and all your favorite KBU programs by donating to KBU's end of the year drive today at kboo.fm slash give. KBU is community supported and community focused radio. You mentioned that you have a program in Portland or a Zoom. We do. So it's a leadership development program. So kids from Portland, um, uh, from anywhere actually in, in your state, um, their parents can refer them in uh, and or a teacher or any adult for that matter. It's a simple referral process. Uh, if you go to projectavery.org, uh, you can find that referral form. And, and then we'll do a, a, an interview with the family and the child and we'll roll them in one of our groups and they get connected with other kids who are going through the same experience and they get connected with Avery leaders and counselors and uh, they go off on this journey, this uh, of meeting other kids and learning about uh, how to share their story and have emotional healing. And they then themselves can become Avery leaders and counselors. Um, so it's a, it's a really wonderful program. We're really happy to offer it to the Portland area. Great. Uh, we're talking with Zach Whalen of Project Avery. Um, this is Prison Pipeline. Um, Zach, the, um, is, the, there's a program here in Portland that we had for a number of years um, over at the women's prison where the kids got to go and spend 
the better part of a day with their mom um, on a pretty regular basis, like once a week or something like that. And um, so the mothers really got a chance to be mothers to their kids and keep that really critical parent and child relationship going while they're incarcerated. Um, do they have a similar program like that um, at San Quentin for men? Um, do kids want to participate in that kind of program and like spend the day with their folks, even if they're incarcerated? Yeah, I think that's a fabulous program. Uh, I think I think those are wonderful programs. Uh, San Quentin does not have that. Uh, there is a, a great uh, program down in, in uh, the Central Valley of California. It's called Place for Grace. And they do something um, kind of similar where they have a summer camp where uh, the, the men and, and the children get together and have summer camp uh, inside of, of that institution. And it's the same idea of, of giving them uh, the opportunities just to be dads and the kids to, to be connected with their dad in, in, in a more involved way than the visits. Um, but we, what, we, what, what you described sounds lovely, uh, a, a weekly visit that, that sounds great. And I know from a number of the kids that we worked with uh, that visits are an important part of of their process of growth and healing and they want those um, and they look forward to them. And it can be stressful going into the regular institutional practices of visiting. So I think that's wonderful that that program you speak of is taking a therapeutic approach to visiting because the straight up way of visiting actually creates quite a deal of stress for kids. Um, and you know, it's common for kids when they come back from those, those visits on Monday, when they go back to school, that there's a much higher rate of school disciplinary action with those kids as mm. they're coming off of this really stressful situation. But I bet the thing that you're talking about, the whole process is built around, you know, the relationship with the child and the parent. Um, mm -hmm. So those things are good for the parent, good for the child. And the other reason they're really great is that prisoner reentry is an extremely stressful time for the kid. And it's stressful because, you know, they haven't had time to be in real relationship with their parent. Maybe they haven't had time to say things, tough things that they wanna say. And that parent suddenly comes back into their life. Uh, it can be a jarring experience for them. But I bet those kids that went to the program you speak of, you know, there's, there's a softer onboarding there. So I think those are great programs. Um, some kids really love them and some caregivers are really supportive of them and some aren't. And we, we respect that too. If they, if they don't want that, that for whatever reason, uh, that's fine. We're very much focused on what the child, what their needs are. And sometimes their need is to have distance from the incarcerated parent. And um, that can be challenging for the incarcerated parent, but you know, we honor if that's the kids need at that moment in time, we we respect that and support that too. Thanks. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Prison Pipeline here on KBU. We're talking with Zach Whalen of Project Avery. Um, Project Avery, Zach, can you tell us uh, more about the kinds of services that you provide to kids? How do you how do you cultivate leadership development with uh, kids in your program? What what is what is the what does it look like for them once they've entered? Yeah, so we typically start, we can, we begin working with a kid as young as age eight. Uh, I mean, they can come into the program between the ages of eight and 15, but many times the kids start off quite young. 
And uh, so they're coming in and, and suddenly they're, they're, they're around other kids and counselors who are just like them. You know, we practice this, this activity called Common Bond where everyone is sharing that the whole group and all of Avery has this common experience of, of having a loved one who's incarcerated. And right there, because I was saying earlier how isolation and stigma is a, is a primary challenge for the kids, but right there when they experience that common bond, you know, it's like a breath of fresh air for them. They, they can see I'm not alone. And all of us know who's gone through something challenging that, you know, being in isolation is the hardest part. But when you no longer feel alone, when you feel belonging, uh, you know, so much of the struggle is, is lifted. So that's the beginning is that we really foster a strong relationship and a community of belonging and what we call connection with the Avery family. And, and after the kids have gone through their first six week cycle of the online program, they then return and they go through stages of leadership development. Um, they become junior leaders where they, they start welcoming in uh, the new kids and they start leading activities. And then we start training them uh, to be counselors. They become junior counselors where they're paid uh, to fil- facilitate groups and they're learning wonderful job skills and then counselors. And uh, all of our counselors are children of incarcerated parents. They all have lived experience. So we're creating uh, this alternative pipeline uh, where you know we're empowering leaders to heal and grow strong. And then we give them opportunities of service where they're turning around and helping uh, the next the next kids come in. And there's a wonderful process of healing and empowerment that happens where you're helping someone else in the place that has hurt so much. I, I kind of, you know, I always say that that's the, the point or inflection point where we know someone is really stepping on that, that, that journey of healing when they start helping others from that, that place of, of the wounding. So that's what we do. And we have people that are now in their thirties who are counselors and they started with us when they were age eight. And so it's a long-term commitment. It's not a one-off program. Uh, mm-hmm. We we ask participants uh, to to make a long-term commitment to us as uh, that's our intention to, to do for them. Uh, do, you, uh, do you accept volunteers if people want to volunteer with your program? Uh, you know, we don't have volunteer places for people outside of the Bay Area. If you lived in the Bay Area where our physical office is, there are opportunities for, for volunteering. Um, but I tell you, where... Uh, we could use the word, the help is, is like what you're doing is getting the word out. Uh, we have spaces to serve more kids. And as again, as I said, there's 3 million of these children. Uh, but because there's so much shame and stigma, we need people to, to help folks understand that this program is there for them. They don't have to experience this in isolation. Um, so, so if you know, people want to be sharing this on social media or wherever it is, getting the word out and getting it into the schools or into the prisons even so parents can make direct referrals, that, that would be a huge, huge help. And how did you, um, how did you get started uh, doing this kind of work? Zach? Was this something that you just um, fell into or what's, what's your story? Yeah. You know, my, my story is, uh, you know, I, what myself was, was someone who was, you know, going on the road of that pipeline. You know, I had my first, uh, case and probation officer when I was uh, 14 years old. Uh, I remember distinctly, you know, being in the police station when I was 14 and 
getting my fingerprint, uh, you know, marked and put in the book. And I lived in a small town where, you know, it was well known that that was, that happened. And, you know, there was a, you know, I sort of carried that. And then, you know, I, I was getting in more and more trouble and got arrested a couple more times. And I was not on going on a, on a good path. And the things that helped me was that I had mentors and people around me that supported me and, and really believed in me. And they saw and held my potential, even as others didn't, and even as I didn't. And um, eventually I, I, I was able to pull myself out of that, but I recognized that those people gave me something and if it hadn't been for them, then then I I would have gone deeper and deeper into that system. And so I after college, I said I was going to do something uh, to to just give back. And I started doing this work first as a mentor, and I mentored actually a kid whose parents were in prison. And then I I worked in conflict resolution in the Boston schools, and I quickly became an executive director. Uh, running a, a program working on restorative justice and prisoner reentry. And I first really got my glimpse about the gap in service with children of incarcerated parents where I was working on prisoner reentry, supporting some parents to come out of prison. And we were doing some reunification process with, with, with this gentleman's children. And the whole social service agency network of this county was there and everyone saw and was in disbelief that while this gentleman was away, that his children had completely been forgotten and left behind and were really struggling. And so that, that really left a mark with me. Um, and, uh, and then I found Project Avery. I actually was, was part of a foundation that was funding them. And I was so moved by uh, Avery's approach uh, to the work and that the real solution is about creating a sense of community and family and relationship, that that's the foundation of healing and empowerment and, and ultimately change. And that stuck with me. And so when this position opened up, I jumped at it and that was that was eight years ago now. And uh, and so it's, it's been a good, been a, a good, good fit for me. You're listening to Prison Pipeline here on KBOO Community Radio. I'd like to remind you that this is a great time to become a member of KBOO. Show your support for Prison Pipeline, and for KBOO by becoming a KBOO member today. Just go to kboo.fm slash give. Help us meet our $45,000 end-of-the-year drive goal. We're community-funded radio, so we need your support to get there. Just go to kboo.fm slash give, or text KBOO to 44-321. I'm great, what, um, so I, I've been to San Quentin. Uh-huh. It's, uh, I, I mean, I've just been there to visit. Uh, but one of the things that I've always been so impressed with at San Quentin is how they seem to have an openness there to trying out a lot of different kinds of programs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one of the things that's always impressed me so much about San Quentin is that they're one of the only institutions of its kind in the nation that's still offering free college education for um, people who are incarcerated. Mm-hmm. What does what it, it take to get a, a prison to like, you know, take in programs like Project Avery? Like, does it take persistent volunteers? Does it take just 
going to the right person, like the chaplain or someone and saying, hey, here's this project. It's, uh, you know, to help kids out whose folks are incarcerated. Um, can you, you know, help get the word in, uh, in, in your institution about this? So how does that happen? Yeah, I think you, you, you hit it fundamentally is it does take persistence. It takes the community showing up and showing up and showing up. And eventually you're going to find people in that institution that are going to resonate with what you're doing and, and, and they're going to want it too. And they'll start working the system with you. Um, but you find those allies inside and, and they're, they're in every institution and, and you work it that way. But, you know, I've also often thought about why San Quentin, what it is. And, you know, I think one of the things is, is that it's, it's not removed from the community. It's right in the middle of the Bay Area. And one that's just access is that people live all around it. So it's easy for volunteers to, to be there. And two, you can't forget that it's there. I mean, many institutions, you know, in California and other places I've worked, they're, you know, way out in the country where you're not really around it. And that's not the case with San Quentin. It's, it's present for everyone who lives there. And so many people are called to, to go there, to volunteer there. And that community presence, that volunteer presence is a part of the San Quentin culture. That, you know, the bureaucracy there, the hierarchy there, they have to deal with it. And that forces them to be able to do many things that other institutions don't do. For example, we do a, a walk with them, um, with, with a group there once a year. And it's incredible. We bring like 50 community members in and it's a walk to end generational cycles of incarceration. And it's community members there and incarcerated men and our alumni. It's a concert and there's poetry reading going on. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful feeling. And uh, I think some of that has to do with proximity. Um, but yes, it's it takes persistence. It takes people who really care and don't stop showing up. And uh, I have dear friends who have fought the good fight with San Quentin. It takes fighting. And there's people that just won't give up and they fight the institution for what they want. And you're right. They, they've gotten it. They, there's a lot of incredible programming um, that's that's happening there. Thanks. Um, so, Zach, we've just got a couple of minutes left. Um, would is is there um anything that we haven't touched on yet about project avery that you really like people to know yeah you know em i think it, i'm so grateful that you you asked me to come on i think it's just with people to remember uh that these children are 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 part of this i mean i think there's a lot of attention that we we put on mass incarceration and we 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 know this country has gone down a horrible and unjust road with it i think often we we forget that for every incarcerated person, there are two children on the outside that, that is affected by the situation. And I think we just need to hold that in our hearts, hold that in our minds, that these children exist, that there's millions of them, that they have unique needs, and that schools and communities need to be creating solutions to meet those needs. You know, we're one solution, but whether you're a social worker, you're a counselor or a mentor in a community, uh, you know, you can be part of that solution just as long as you recognize that these kids are going through something unique uh, and they need they need support and care to get through it. Uh, and then we won't have the school to prison pipeline. We'll have something different of leadership development and care and kindness and these kids growing up 
to, to reach their full potential. So thank you for your work. It's inspiring. You know, you're, you're the storytellers. And I think that's a critical piece of, of making the change. So thanks so much for having me on. Oh, thank you. And Zachary, if people would like to learn more about Project Avery or how to get involved, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, the best is to, to go online. It's www.projectavery.org. Uh, we're also on Instagram. If you follow our, our Instagram handle, um, that you, you'll get to see all the pictures and updates about all the, the happenings that, that we're doing. But all that can be found on our website. And how do you spell that? Project Avery, A-V? Yeah, it's Project, P-R-O-J-E-C-T, Avery, A-V-A-R-Y, dot o-r-g great that's on instagram and on uh also online yeah baby you understand me now if sometimes you see that i'm mad don't you know no one alive can always be an angel when everything goes wrong, you see some bad. KBOO Portland on 90.7 FM, K282BH Philomath on 104.3 FM, and K220HR Hood River on 91.9 FM. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available on our website at kboo.fm. 
Due to the temporary closure of in-station activity at KBU, meetings will be conducted online via public video conferencing unless otherwise noted. A public link and phone number to attend the meetings are available on our website. The Program Advisory 